embracing grace as a ministry. It, it could also be viewed as a program, an outreach. The powerful testimony of life transformation, Lord, reminds us that you work not in just one pattern or one method, but that your gospel is made known in various and multiple ways. And Lord, what a great and awesome reminder of Ashton's life. And what excitement, even though she's not attending Clovis EV Free, that she would say she can't wait to start this in her own church. Thank you, Jesus, that we have been able to play a significant part in that. And Lord, we, we pray and celebrate that life change. And Father, we, we surrender our lives to you. Um, use us, Father, in whatever means you would please, you would find um, pleasing to you to use our lives to spread the aroma and the scent and the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ right in our context whether it's with our neighborhoods or our neighbors cooking a meal or, or cutting the grass or painting a wall or however that looks like, maybe at the bingo game. I don't know. But you could use these means as ways to placing your people in these contexts so that your message is made known. May that be our heartbeat today. Open our hearts, open our minds to listen now to the teaching of your word. And if it please you, Lord, Use my lips and my preparation to encourage, to um, stimulate into uh, a Christ-likeness and a Christ-central uh, centeredness in life, and Lord, um, stimulating each other in the faith mutually for the glory of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen and amen. You may be seated. Good morning to all of you, and again, we're going to jump right into our study of the book of Colossians. We are, we are um, uh, nearing that 50% point, that halfway point in the book, um, and again, we've given ourselves permission to take our time in the book of Colossians. There's no hurry. There's no need for us to finish up um, um, uh, you know, before the year's end, but we are. We're going to finish this study um, uh, right the Sunday before Palm Sunday. So right now we're wrapping up chapter two. Uh, we're, we're, for the last two weeks, we've been uh, studying false teachers and then rituals and worship. Today we're, we're, um, we're going to focus on ascetics. And then next week, we're going to take a step back and go back to verses nine through 15. And we're going to observe what true Christianity really is all about. And I might allude to some of that today, but, but I don't want to dive deep into it because I, I really believe that, that as we're, we're, we're approaching this now halfway point in the book of Colossians, it's going to take a turn. It's going to take a turn from this doctrinal focus, this, this uh, Christological uh, um, understanding of who Christ is as a person, but his work, and now it's going to turn more to imperatives that focus on moral teachings. Now, I must give a waiver here and, and just a, a clarification. We are not moralist. Please, let that sink into your hearts and your minds. We are not moralist. We believe in the power and the work of the cross and the power of the gospel message, which transforms us. 
And it, it changes us. Uh, just like, like Romans chapter 12 would tell us, you know, our minds are renovated, right? That metamorphosis that occurs, that, that, like the butterfly, right? He enters, it creates, well, he's a, he's a caterpillar, right? He creates the cocoon, right? There's a metamorphosis that happens, and what the end product is a butterfly. So there's a transformation that must occur also in our cognitive dimension, in our process, in our thinking, in the way we conduct. So, but that's not the focus. And so here, we're introduced to a group of people that with all, for whatever reason, maybe had good intentions and how even spiritual disciplines led them uh, wayward. And so we, we want to consider that because, again, when we think of the word um, um, ascetic, uh, we, have to, we have to consider where does that come from or how does that play even into the biblical narrative. And all you have to do is just go back way back, right, um, to the Garden of Eden. And where did that start from? And how did Adam and Eve know that they had to sacrifice an animal? There was no law. There was no written books. They were given some ordinances that were transferred to them verbally by the Creator. How did they teach that to, 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 to Cain and Abel when they all had to go and present their 10% or the first fruits of their offering? Who taught them that? That came from somewhere. That understanding derived from somewhere. And so ascetics, um, to help me uh, understand that, that word and just unpack it a little bit just to give us a, a very brief uh, context here, an ascetic um, is one who denies himself bodily, right? He, he, he denies himself physically, his bodily needs, in order to set his mind on spiritual matters. Okay, that's an ascetic. Okay, and as we're going to process this, it, it, we, might, we might make some associations there. But, but, but look what happens. In the Greek, that ascetic, that word, has the connotation of one who exercises. Right? If, if you look at somebody who's exercising, right, they put their physical bodies and they discipline their physical bodies. Uh, what's that famous saying? No pain. <laughs> right? Right? One less hamburger. Uh, one less donut, right? Um, and and that, 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 there's nothing bad with these things. Obviously, you want to keep them in moderation, right? But the athlete understands, hey, if I, if I want to have a, a, a physical fitness about me, I need to exercise some discipline. And that, that basically in Greek, the word ascetic, uh, it, it has that strong connotation of an, of an, of, of, of an athlete. And in fact, somebody even suggested that, that this person is a is one who submits themselves to training, but get a load of this. Somebody branded these ascetics as spiritual athletes. I don't know. If, I don't know if you've ever heard that term before, but you know, I grew up in church, and you know, I had these uh, prayer warriors, and these people prayed and prayed and prayed, and you know, you had to almost uh, pray as long as they did to belong part of the the prayer club, and, and that was always uh, you know a, a very thing. But they were they were classified as spiritual athletes. So, you know, again, this isn't an abstract uh, concept outside of the biblical narrative. For example, for example. You know, when you think of ascetics in, in the Bible, right, um, in Old Testament, there was a form of separation. Uh, there was petitions and intercessions that were made through fasting. 
What's fasting? Right? The abstinence of meals or, or things that one likes to focus on, a, 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 a have a more focus towards God. Right? Um, but ascetics also practice this during repentance, right? We know of the great day of atonement. That was a day of repentance and forgiveness. So there was some, some physical things that were done uh, in the form of discipline during those days. During afflictions, um, hardships, calamities, beatings. Uh, the Apostle Paul was one who, who talked about a lot about enduring, enduring hardships, right? For the sake of what? The church? For the sake of his religion? No, for the sake of the gospel. Right? So there, there's, that, there's that understanding, that undercurrent, right? Here's one that you don't hear in church. You're probably going to walk out of church and say, oh, I can't believe pastor said that word. But, but in the New Testament, there was even uh, a, 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 an ascetic practice on uh, sexual abstention. 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 Abstention, thank you. <laughs> Sorry, is my Spanish mind wants to come out of me, right? But, but abstention. And so, so, you know, hey, they abstain from sexual uh, uh, practices, right? And especially when you talk about purity, right? Even Paul would later on say that, right? I would prefer that you would remain single, right? That, that's, there, there's some undercurrent there. Of, of ascetic practices. And there's a big discussion there, a theological discussion. Was Jesus, uh, did Jesus also observe these things? Because he didn't get married. He also fasted. He also prayed. He also did things to tame down the, the desires of the flesh, right? And the temptations that are out there. Temptation is not a sin. Okay? If we allow it to grow, it flourishes into what sin is, Right? And so, so again, there's, there's, you see this undercurrent. Now, what is one, if you, if you just very quickly, before we dive into our text, if you think about one more ascetic in the New Testament, who would that guy be? I thought about this one, and it's kind of like for all you, you know, Bible nerds out there that love, you know, these little details there. John the Baptist, right? What did he do? I mean, how many of us would really wear like this furry coat with a, like a big belt right there and sandals and eat locusts and honey? <laughs> really? But that, that's how he was viewed, right? And even, even his disciples, when, when they began to hear about Jesus, right? Began, hey, Lord, you know, baptism and all this, you know, uh, uh, rabbi and, hey, man, go talk to Jesus, right? And so there, there you see that. Now, Let's read for a minute here what our text uh, speaks of, because again, like I said, we've been tracking on, you know, false teaching, rituals and worship, right? And, and again, if I just briefly just take you back to verses four and on, you know, again, in, in verse four of this chapter, we read that, 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 that there's falsehood, there's deceit that false teachers use, and they love smooth talking. False teachers use deceit, and they use polished language to continue to acquire victims. But we also understood at the end of verse 8, we understood the, the whole core, the whole nucleus of a false teacher is not according to Christ. Okay? You want to flush somebody's falseness out? See what is their centrality to Jesus Christ in their message. 
and it'll flush it out really quick. You don't need to go to a, a university to know that it's in the Bible, right? Okay, and then, and then we, we, we continue to write about rituals and, 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 and worship, right? And we found out, let no one pass judge, judgment on you in verse 16, right? Kind of like the umpire. We talked about the 1985 World Series. And, and we said, you know, that umpire with, with Jorge um, Ortega and running into the first base. And if you saw the video, you probably are a little bit debating in you because the guy was out. But the umpire said he was safe, right? And we all know what happened to the Cardinals. They lost the World Series. And so the, let no one pass. And again, um, we find this out in verse 17 at the end of the text. Why? Because when people judge, the substance is not Christ. The substance is some broken tradition, some legalistic form of religion, or some, something other than who Jesus Christ is. So again, that's how you flush out rituals in worship. Is my worship Christ-centered? Or is it my tradition-centered? Is it pleasing to me? Or is it pleasing to Christ? Is it honoring and glorifying the Trinity? See, those are, those are ways that we have to ask. You know, and, and so this, this is what Paul was trying to teach. Why? Because we don't know the, the, all, the, all the details of that heresy that was occurring in Colossae. Now, now, even with that, in verse 19... We, we, Paul gave us that, 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 that nugget there, right? And, and notice what he says. These, these, these rituals and worships were not holding fast to the head. We know who the head is. The head is Christ, right? Uh, uh, Colossians 1, 15 through 20. He's the head. He's supreme. He's preeminent over all of the created order, visible and invisible. But he's also supreme over the church and reconciliation. So salvation's work is not about the religion. It's not about, oh, how much I pray, how many Bible studies. All those things are good. Not about the practice. It's about the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And then that begins to create something new. And it regenerates, as we're going to learn next week, there's some phenomenal concepts there that we need to understand of, of, of what the gospel does. However, okay, so again, and sandwiched between these, the, the text of today, here it goes. Uh, we get into verses um, um, 20 to 23. I'm going to read these kind of quick. If with Christ you died in the elemental spirits of the world, Why? As if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Verse 21, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Um, referring to things that all perish and that uh, as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. Verse 23, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion. And... Um, Let's see, asceticism and severity to the body. But they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. The worst thing I've ever heard in my ministerial life was somebody tell me, Pastor, I'm struggling with an addiction, but I'm fasting, I'm praying, and nothing happens. That's very hard. 
I'm practicing, I'm doing, I'm going to church, I'm, I'm, I'm in this Bible study, that Bible study, I'm getting mentored, I'm here, I'm there, I'm praying, I'm doing. And they can go through a list of so many things that they're doing. And at the end of the day, they wither away. That is heartbreaking. Both to the leadership of the church, but to the individual too. So they become disillusioned with religion and church altogether. Oh, I tried that. You'll hear some of those comments, right? Oh, I, I used to go to church. Well, why don't you go to church anymore? Because all they want is your money. I was <laughs> like, oh, okay. You know, let's talk about that. So three things here, very quickly. First of all, and, and when, I, when, I, when I read, these really rattled my cage. They really rattled my cage. But here they go. Ascetics submit their victims to do nots. Ascetics submit their victims to do nots, which are regulations. Notice what verses 20 to 21 say. Why? And notice this. The whole text in the Greek, when you read this, you, Paul did a fast one on us. Because he usually starts with these imperatives. Do not or make sure. So he's giving it. But here, if you, if you really analyze the literature here, he's asking a question. Like he's asking a rhetorical question. Hey, if you died in Christ, why do you do submit to regulations? That, that's basically his approach here. So, so these, these, these ascetics were really telling people, dude, I call these people, because uh, they could be dogmatics, uh, you know, there, there's a lot of considerations here, but I call these the do-notters. Do not, but I call them the do-notters. Don't do this. Don't do that. 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 And, 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 and this wasn't the first time. When you study Ephesus, Paul told uh, uh, Timothy in, in 1 Timothy uh, 4 and the first four verses you could read, but, but he says, the Spirit expressly says. What does the Spirit say? He says, in the latter days, some will depart from the faith. Uh, Paul was alluding something very powerful here. Devoting themselves to deceitful spirits, teachings of demons. Look how Paul is classifying this for, for, for Timothy, for the church of believers in Ephesus. Though the insanity of their liars, whose consciences are seared, who forbid. You know what? These ascetics, they were forbidding marriage. And that's been a long tension in, in, even in church history. You know, that the priesthood should not be married. You can imagine if you do some historical studies of church history, you start seeing where that, that even plays into some of the traditions of the 21st century. But these people forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created. So this is why I say, I'm Latino. I like bacon. I like ham. I like pozole. I like my, 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 my short ribs, my baby back ribs. I love all that. And it's okay if you don't, if you like the broccoli, the carrots. <laughs> The asparagus. I'm okay with it. I still love you. You're still my brother and sister in Christ. We good. <laughs> we good. And so I think that that's what's going on. And, and so these do-notters were trying to approach Secondly, ascetics focus on appearances. Notice this well. Ascetics focus on appearances. You don't look Christian enough. What is a Christian supposed to look like? Oh, the big one for me was, you don't read the King James Version. 
do you speak 15th century English? Because I don't. <laughs> like, uh, again, so, so appearances which are self-made religion and a form of harsh treatment to the body. Notice the spirit behind ascetics. That are, that are there. And again, you know, verses 22 through 23, uh, uh, it goes, you know, referring to the things that shall perish. What's going to perish? A podium's going to perish. A carpet is going to perish. A seat is going to perish. Even the piano. <laughs> These things, as beautiful as they are, they're just things. But when these things become an idol or become a symbol, we begin to idolize them. And, and, and again, these ascetics began to idolize things which are not Christ and his redemptive work. And this is what Paul is really driving at. And so he says, these things shall perish, human precepts and teachings. And then verse 23, they have indeed an appearance of wisdom. Things might look wise. Oh, brother, I love that you praise at five in the morning, but don't expect Pastor Pablo to be there with you. Now, it doesn't mean that Pastor Paulo doesn't pray, okay? Just that we're wired differently. And that's okay. Broccoli beef. Broccoli beef. Remember that. Broccoli beef. These things have an appearance of wisdom, promoting self-made religion, asceticism, and severity of the body. That's the nature of these do-notters. And, and, and that's what they're going to focus on. Again, this is all taken, when you have time, read it. This is all taken from Je- uh, Jeremiah 29, 13. And that's a very hard text. If you read that and you come out bruised, Jeremiah spoke a very strong message. I mean, he described the people who were just giving God lip service and didn't have any praxis to their faith. I mean, that's a very... And in fact, Jesus used the same thing when the Pharisees, if you recall in Matthew chapter 15, what did, what did Jesus' disciples do? You know what they were doing? They didn't wash their hands and they were eating food. And the Pharisees said, there it is, they violated the law. <laughs> right? They said, look, they're... I mean, most moms would tell their children to wash their hands, right? We're good parents, it's, 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 you know, there's some sanitary issues there, right? But the disciples didn't do that. They, they, they were out in the field, and they picked, and they grabbed, and they... And the Pharisees, they jumped all over and said, Look, Jesus, they are eating with dirty hands. They are contaminated. Whew. Right? Matthew 15, 2. And then Jesus said this beautiful word. It's not what goes in your mouth that contaminates you. It's what comes out. Matthew 15, 11. Ascetics and Jesus. Whew. That's a very tense thing, right? And so uh, Jesus says, uh, again, he cited from, from Jeremiah. I, I'm sorry, I said Jeremiah. It was Isaiah 29, 13. Sorry. I gave the wrong credit to the wrong person. It was, it's Isaiah 29, 13. Jesus, Matthew 15, 9, he cited the exact words from Isaiah. Uh, finally, finally, true ascetics. Now, now please don't, don't, don't misunderstand me. There is value in spiritual discipline. Even Paul would say that. There's value in praying and fasting and, 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 and abstaining from things. Okay, there's value in that. 
That's not, that's not what Paul is telling Colossae, even though it sounds like, oh yeah, see, he's beating all of this. But I think it's found in that very first verse, in verse 20, in that form of a question. If with Christ, okay, so true ascetics are grounded on Christ's work. And I will submit all teaching, all rituals, all worship, all traditions must be grounded and established on Christ, his person, and his redemptive work. Something was missing in the life of these believers in Colossae. They were told they received the gospel from Epaphras. Think about this, friends. Think about this. Philemon, where did he live? He lived in Colossae. What was Philemon's biggest issue? He owned a slave. The slave ran away. He encountered a guy called Paul who was imprisoned. Paul gave him the gospel and then, and then told Onesimus, hey, dude, you need to go back, right? So he goes back. And he went back. And what did Paul ask Philemon? <clears throat> hey, man, if I was ever a friend of you, man, I, I brought, you know, I, I'm your spiritual father. But just as if, uh, treat Onesimus as if he was me. You, you, you know what the biggest part of our religiousness is? When we have to give up what we like the most. What is ours. And, and rightfully, the ruled justified Philemon's ownership of Onesimus. But what was Paul really telling him? Because of the work of Jesus. He's no longer a slave. He's your brother in Christ. And so, true ascetics are grounded. They stand on the principle of the word of God and, and, and Christ's work on the cross of Calvary and the blood he shed. That's why we can be black, white, yellow, brown, white, European, Okay, and then you get those kamikazes like me that fall between cultures. I'm like the India Maria. In my culture, we talk about the India Maria. She's just a, a, a figure, an actress, but she represents two cultures, two languages, two sets of people, and she has to exist between both of them. And so, to kind of wrap things up now, um, I thought how to end this. I was going to cite from a book, but I'm going to hold that off uh, uh, for a little bit later. I'm going to conclude with this. Scripture, and I love, if you've ever read um, Karl Barth's work, whether you agree with him or not, but if you ever read Karl Barth's uh, works on justification and sanctification, Karl Barth did a phenomenal job of unpacking justification and sanctification. And he took Luther and Calvin's and kind of like helped us process what all of this meant. 
But, but, but look, look what Paul had scripted in, in, in Romans chapter 6. Have you ever go back and read the whole chapter of Romans? I mean, yeah, we, we use that text to talk about baptism and our unity in Christ. But look, look what Paul is really just flushing here because he's really helping us process how the Bible, how the scripture helps us not only understand our justification, but it also includes our sanctification and the grounds for our Authentic spiritual growth. Yes, as I said last week, we provide many pathways for you to grow to become a disciple of Jesus here at Clovis Free. And we're going to develop more as God wills into the future. But here's what Paul said. I'm going to cite from, from uh, Romans 6, 12, uh, all the way, and I'm going to skip some of the verses, but it goes all the way to verse 23, and you can read this on your own. But verse 12 says, Let no sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions, right? Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. We're going to talk about this next week. Christianity is a religion that invites you to die. It invites you to die so that you can experience the power of the resurrection. This book that I'm reading talks about, and I, and I shared it with a few of you, and, and whatnot. It, it, it branded this whole concept of, and it's called evangelical Gnosticism. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you simmer on that evangelical Gnosticism. And, and, and I was all like, whoa, what is this? It just blew me away. And, and again, it, asked, it, it forced me to ask questions. And, and this is what Paul was saying. And then, and then he says, but present yourselves to those who have been brought out from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Verse 14, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law, but under grace. And then, verse 20, if you jump over to verse 20. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regards to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. The fruit you get leads to sanctification. From sin and have become slaves of God and, and eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, thank you. And once again, we ask for your wisdom. Starting with me, Lord, I, you know, yeah, I, I, I have developed a, a form of spiritual pride I have used uh, spiritual disciplines to beat up on people and, and um, you know, uh, classify people for not doing or not joining a prayer or, or not doing things. But I, I suspect that, that many of us also have done similar things in various different ways. So, Father, I am ashamed of, of doing that. And that's not according to Christ. So, Father, I guess the confession and the repentance would be help us not be critical in this way help us to lead and guide and focus others 
unto Jesus Christ, the author and the perfecter of our faith. That truly, as we say here at Clovis Free, in all things, Christ supreme. We want you to be supreme. Supreme over our traditions. Supreme over our convictions. Supreme over our relationships. Supreme over the ministry, over the programs, over our future. Yeah, at times it's scary, Lord. At times our emotions rise and at times all these things can get us. Or even the pressures of religion itself. Help us remind ourselves that we are believers not because of how long we've been at church, but because of your redemptive work on the cross of Calvary. And it's that faith through grace and, Lord, that we enter into a relationship with you and we live according to your goodwill as we grow and rub shoulders and serve and interact and belong uh, contrary to the spirit of this age that is filled with self, consumerism, individualism, a, a form of religious narcissism. Help us, Father, to become the people of your word. We, the evangelical free church, are people of the word. And we are proclaiming Christ crucified, but also that he resurrected in power and might. And because he resurrected, we too have the promise of a future of life. So, Father, if anyone's here today in person or online and would call out and invoke the name of the Lord unto salvation, would you forgive their sins? Would you restore them? Would you deposit your Holy Spirit upon their lives that they may experience the true death and the resurrection that was afforded to us in Christ our Lord? And Father, we celebrate the life transformation that you are doing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.